0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Thoughts from a Balcony. Today we have Nico Lautnan on the podcast. And Nico is a former college football player at Bowling Green State University who recently just completed his MBA. And we start by reminiscing on the funny story of how we met way back in our freshman year of high school. And then Nico takes us through his football journey that led him to becoming a starting D lineman at a D1 college. Now with mental health often being overlooked in sports, we talk about our own battles with mental health and how we've struggled to find identity outside of the sport that used to consume our lives. Nico goes over how he lost 85 pounds after his career ended, how he rehabbed for four herniated discs to then embark on his best season yet, what his family means to him, his thoughts on meditation, and the importance of gratitude. This was honestly one of my favorite podcasts I've done so far, and it was really great to catch up with one of my oldest friends. Whoever you are listening, I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed making it.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to Thoughts From a Balcony. I have my good friend on, Nico Lautinen. thank you for coming on, my brother.
2: Thank you for having me, brother. It's an honor. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, dude. So I'm sure anyone listening to this is going to know who me and you are. And it's probably going to be people from high school and all that shit. But anyone who isn't familiar with mine and yours, Bond, I want to talk about the first time we met, because I think it kind of sums up how we were as fat little kids. And I think it's just a funny point to start out at. So I knew you in middle school, right? And like, I'll take it all the way back to, Memorial, Shore, Ridge Days. And for those of you who don't go to Mentor or haven't gone to Mentor, there's three middle schools that funnel into that high school. All right, we had to stop there for some technical difficulties, but we're back and rolling. All right, so talking about Mentor, there's three middle schools that funnel into it, right? And if you're from the Northeast of Ohio, you realize how big football is. So in the middle schools, all the football teams, are huge. And we're taking pride in it. We're super excited to go into high school and we're competing amongst each other too. And me and Nico were very similar bodies, like big bodies. I was a linebacker, should have been a D lineman. I don't know why they let me do that. But like you were a D lineman, O lineman too. I played online. So we're big dudes. We're hitting people hard, pretty like, I don't want to say star players, but we we were shining on those middle school teams. And we definitely had a rivalry. And I remember not knowing you, but like knowing who you were. Like fuck this guy, dude. I hate this guy. <laughs> like we were beefing, and there were a couple of times we met in the A gap. And I don't know who won that one. I think I think I did, but well, we'll we could we could discuss that later. <laughs> um No, but for real, we get into to like middle school. They all get together. It's like the summer before we start our first year in high school. And me and Nico were paired up together naturally. We have very similar bodies, and we're both in the stage of like we can't do a pull up. Like we're too fat. We're not strong enough to really control our own body weight. And we look at each other like, yo, let's just do one pull-up each. So I would go and do one pull-up. You would do one pull-up. And then from then on out, like we were good friends, man. Like I, I can't even, I can't even remember a time in high school where we weren't like fucking with each other and doing dumb shit together. So um, yeah, that's how we met. But why don't you tell me about your, like, cause I want to, I want to get into your football perspective and kind of your whole entire story. So, Start me from from start to finish. When did you start playing ball and and when did
2: you end? Absolutely, man. I'll go ahead. Yeah, so I started playing football um, when I was in third grade. That's back when before I hit my growth spurt, I was about in third grade, probably 75 pounds. Um, I was introduced to the sport with my father. Um, He was a big, very, very, very big um, reason that I played football. Um, He was a all around national athlete in high school. Um, he actually had offers to many big 10 schools, didn't take it because um, some life obligations that you know kind of uh, hindered his ability to do that. But yeah, he introduced me to the sport at a really young age. He was also my coach, um, which really helped me and motivated me from a young age to, to really get into football. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. I got started at Mentor Youth where he was actually my coach um, so that helped me in terms of my development at a very young age. So his, his um, thought process, his um, ability to learn, um, to, be, to come up with things um, for me to utilize in my game at a very young age, I think helped me progress um, going into middle school and going into high school. Um, so having that supporting cast at a very young age really, really helped me kind of propel my career in football. So got started at, at Bama in um, the Mentor Youth, for those of you that are in Mentor, obviously know um, of the Mentor Youth Football Association, um, RIP to that. But, yeah, got me started at a really young age, and my dad um, really, really pushed football on me. Um, my mom was so against it, um, but my dad to this day still says that was the best decision they've ever made, um, and that they didn't have to pay any college for it, so that was cool. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got started. Hell yeah, man. No, I, I think that's hilarious. And I think that's all of our dreams too.
1: like coming up through the high school ranks is I just want a college scholarship. Like I just want to be able to pay my way through college. And that was always the dream for a lot of us playing. Um, and it was really cool because we both got to fulfill those dreams. You know, you at, you at your really high level mind, you know, at the D2 and D3 level. But, um, you know, coming into BG, I know you had these expectations and I kind of remember that going in your freshman year you're coming in with Dino Babers and you're just kind of talking about him. Great team. Um, you know, like a winning program just got back from a bowl game. And then I think it was after your freshman year, he ended up leaving. And I, I think that was really tough to see. Cause it was like, you've been part of a winning program your whole life.
2: And now it's like turned upside down. Yeah, man. So um, when I was recruited um, by Bowling Green, I was recruited by um, so many schools out of high school, which I was forever grateful for. So um, having the ability to pick where I wanted to go to school was everything to me. Um, And it's everything that I ever strive for, all the way going back to those youth days um, playing football. So, like you said, that's something that you dream about. That's something that you always want to fulfill. Um, That's something that you want to always strive for every single day. But to your point, yes. Um, I was recruited by Dino Babers and obviously in high school I think in our four-year span, lost maybe like se- seven games total. Uh, I don't know the, all the facts on that, but came into Bowling Green. Uh, Dino Babers was my coach. He is now at Syracuse. Um, very, very big reason why I went to Bowling Green. Uh, he was an awesome recruiter. He told me everything that was going to be happening, that I would be a starter, um, which obviously didn't happen, but Um, I think to your point, I've been a part of a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys. So my freshman year, we won the MAC championship, got a ring out of it. Um, Super good experience. I think it really showed me what a good culture looks like um, and how to work within that culture, I think. And then after his departure, um, I started to see what a really bad culture looks like. Um, And we had somebody come in, he was a high school coach. Was not a player driven coach, um, was very selfish um, and essentially reflected on the entire team. And um, we lost four consecutive years after that. So um, I've seen what it looks like to win. I knew what it looked like to win, Um, but we never had that kind of leadership from a coach standpoint to be able to, you know, uh, survive and and thrive uh, in in college. So it was tough, man. It, It was tough. There was so many times where I was like, you know what? Um, I don't want to be a part of this. I actually almost transferred to Syracuse with Coach Babers um, after that year. Um, But I stuck through it, and I'm very glad that I actually did. So those bad lessons that we had in college um, really shaped me and helped me learn from those experiences, too. So, you know, um, while it might not have been good, I think that it was good for my growth to learn those kind of things. Yeah. No, I'm glad
1: you brought that up because it's
2: it's these moments where it's
1: terrible – at that time. And you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to get through this? This sucks. It's just, ter- I mean, so many bad things just keep happening. You keep losing games. There's fights amongst the team. And I, I know how it is. Cause I, you know, I, I went through a very similar situation that Murray's coaching staff was just, there's one way of thinking. And then there's the player's way of thinking and they're just completely divided. We're not running as a unit. And it has a huge detrimental effect on the team. Um, but you also learn a lot about yourself in those instances. And I love that you say that, like, yeah, they suck, but they were also transformative years. And they really shaped me and who I am. And I look back at all the shitty things that happened to me in my career, like tearing my Achilles and, you know, having to transfer and having to play O line, like as d D-line, you know how much that sucks. So it's like <clears throat> having to go through those things and learning from them and realizing all those mistakes you made and all of the ways that you could have responded better is going to help you in your future life. for really things that matter much more, you know, kind of looking back and I'm sure we're going to look back in, in 50 years and say, wow, football is such a small part of my life. But when you're in it, it's everything like that. You know, I, I started in sixth grade, so that's probably like 12 years of playing ball. And that 12 years, like it's consistent. It doesn't stop. It's all you're thinking about. You're thinking of how do I get better? How do I stay healthy? How do I, you know, just improve upon my game and get to the next level. And when that's over, it's kind of like, what do I do next? So I'm curious from your perspective, man, I know you just got your master's recently. um, But I I think you stopped playing around the same time I did. What was that transition like for you? And then how do you kind of work with that today?
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think, to be honest with you, I think I'm still um, learning what it's like um, in finding an identity outside of football. Um, Like you said, man, that was literally, and I kid you not, the only thing that I knew was football. Um, Anything else, forget about it. Um, I had a business sense just because I went to four years of undergrad, and then I got my MBA, Um, but I think I'm still actively learning every day, Um, and one of those things is um, accountability, discipline, uh, being able to be on time, managing your time. Um, Those are all things that you learn within football um, that help you correlate to um, real things in your life, so the biggest thing for me um, was making sure that how can I keep the same competitive edge that I had when I was playing football? Um, so for me, that's been in the gym. Um, I think uh, it, it's not only is it good for obviously my physical health um, and my optimal mental mental health, which I think is very important. Um, it's still, man, to this day, I'm still I'm still working a life outside of football. Um, and to your point, you know, when you're in it, it seems like it's all you know. Uh, and then when you're outside and you look back, you know, it was a small portion of your life. Um, so, I'm sure in 10, 10 years, this will be a significantly different conversation when you and I link up together again. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a struggle. Um, but I will say I've learned in the struggle, and I think there is progress in the struggle. Um, so, I'm actively learning every day. Um, I, I'm trying to do research on this stuff. I mean, going from playing in venues like Notre Dame, Oregon, playing against Justin Herbert, playing against Ohio State in front of 110,000 people. And then getting thrown into a cubicle like no one knows who the hell I am. It's like it takes a hit on your your ego, if you will. Um, and it makes you really look back and think like, like, I have to restart. I have to make sure that I'm, I'm making a name for myself outside of the sport that has shaped me into who I am. So to answer your question, it's been a struggle. Um, but I think every day that I'm learning um, and I'm striving towards becoming the best version of myself outside of football. Absolutely, Rowan. <clears throat>
1: I think it's something we all go through as former athletes is finding that identity outside of our sport. And I was really lucky to kind of be forced to go through that when I had to make that transfer. And I really had to sit down and think like, what do I want to do with my life? And I'm still figuring that out. Like you said, it's a, it's a work in progress every single day. And I don't think there's this end point that like, Oh, I have it figured out. I feel like the more, you know, the less, you know, for real. Uh, the more you know about yourself, you're like, well, what about this? What about that? Um, But I digress. And that identity and that ego is so wrapped up in that sport. And when it gets taken away, it's really crushing. Like, I, I and I can, I can speak for myself, you know, when I got moved to online at Mercyhurst, it's, it's like, who am I? Like, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm eating myself silly. I'm getting thick as a mug. And <laughs> I'm just feeling so down about myself. I have no self-esteem it's tough like it's so so hard but it makes you do that work right like it's either going to crush you or it's going to bring you to a place that you never thought was possible and you know going through that transfer and going to John Carroll it wasn't like oh snapping my fingers i'm over in this place i'm so much better now it was like oh i'm in a better spot i have a better opportunity to really figure out who i am and let me do that now um and it's it's been an uphill battle ever since you know i think i graduated and um, I had the mindset, like, well, I have a job, you know, I have a good job, like people like me at my job. I'm getting paid pretty well, and you know, I got a girl, like everything is going great on paper. But um, you know, I had this moment like four months out of college where I just broke down. Like I broke down and cried. I'm like, who am I? Like I don't know what I actually want in life. Like, am I actually working towards something that's worth my value? I think that's an important question to ask. Like, am I doing things? that are worth my time and effort. Um, and I had to do a whole like you said, restart. Um, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a restart from who you are. It's kind of like digging deeper into yourself and like, who am I? What am I actually good at? And what do I get fulfillment out of um, and going in that direction? But it takes, it takes a lot of time and effort. It takes understanding of yourself, which is like probably one of the hardest things to do. Um, and like I said, it's, it's a work in progress. So I don't think it's something that, oh yeah, here we go. I understood myself. Nah, man, you got to really put the work in. You got to really, you know, read read your books. You got to journal. You got to do all these things to work towards fulfillment. And yeah, man, I, I love that you brought that up because I think identity is a really, really important piece. Um, so I guess talk to me now, like what are some specifics that you're doing? I know you you said Around the realm of discipline, and we've had some conversations on books that you like. Um, so, tell me some, I guess, tactics and habits that you've been implementing to kind of work towards that. You know, I say we, you know, we want to win the game, but like, how do you want to win it, in life?
2: Yeah, man, absolutely, I agree with everything you said. And um, the first thing that comes to mind when you said that is uh, a book that my brother actually gave to me um, <clears throat> when he was going through some tough times. It's actually called. And I think this helps so much. If you're an athlete, um, former athlete, if you don't even have to be an athlete, you could have done something in college where you know it's a trans transition for you. Um, it's actually called "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins, uh, former Navy SEAL. Um, he created something and shared with the world um, the accountability mirror. It's something that you write down in notepads in places that you frequently go to. So uh, you could put a post-it note. Um, on your doorknob. You can put a post-it note in your mirror. You can put a post-it note on your dresser. Um, anywhere saying, these are things that I want to improve on. Um, this is something that I'm going to see every day of my life. Um, so, hey, you know, if you think you're gaining a little bit of weight, put lose some weight. Um, simple as that. Go to the gym. Um, hydrate. Eat better. Um, focus on your nutrition. Um, this is something that's helped me. I mean, I've lost 80, 85 pounds since my Football days, I went from 3.05-ish, 3.10-ish at my heaviest um, to now 2.30. So um, I think the accountability mirror is definitely something. And you mentioned journaling. I haven't done that until probably three months ago um, when I started noticing some of my um, flaws. uh, And and some people were starting to notice my flaws. um, And I thought, you know what? It's not going to get better um, if you don't realize that It's not getting better. So I've been journaling a lot. Um, and I've been writing something I'm grateful for every single night before I go to bed in my journal. Um, so really reflecting on how your day went, um, and how you look and focus in on what you're grateful for and how that helps you moving forward can be something as small as I'm, I'm grateful to, to be breathing. Uh, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my supportive system. I'm grateful for that coach that mentored me and brought me under his wing help me develop not only as a player, but a human being as well. Um, so those are the first two things that come to mind um, when you ask that question. It's the accountability mirror by David Goggins, which is a forever great experience. Um, and then the journaling as well. And one more thing is he also came up with a 40% rule uh, David Goggins did. And what that means is when you're at, when you think you're at um, hundred uh, percent for for your effort, for your whatever you're doing in life, you're really only at 40% and you still have 60% more to go. Um, So I think that's something that I learned through that book. Honestly, the best book I've ever read. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but uh, there's so many valuable lessons in that. Um, And he's a tough ass dude, man, like former Navy SEAL. He was a fat SOB, like struggling to go through buds um, in training, thought he was going to ring the bell. I I don't know if you know uh, Navy SEALs ringing the bell as a thing that just basically says they're quitting and they're giving up on their um, fellow soldiers. So that was the biggest, one of the biggest turning points is reading that book uh, and understanding. So those are kind of the things that have really helped me out in this transition for sure. Yeah. And, and
1: I love that you bring up the David Goggins book because I think football instilled that nature in us, that discipline nature of like, I love that. I've heard that 40% rule. I've never read the book, but I definitely have heard that before. And I know we've been in those situations where we're running one tens and we're at 18 one tens and we got to hit 20. And it's like, dude, how am I going to run these other two? Like I am about to die, but we somehow get it done. And then afterwards you're like, wow, I can do that. Like, it's, it's like a self-esteem builder. It's a confidence builder. And, um, you know, going to the gym focusing on nutrition. I love that you've lost 85 pounds, bro. Like I, I remember, us, I mean, we were both fat boys. Like, I remember how we used to eat, like, going to Burger King and McDonald's and Taco Bell, like, all those places all the time. And I don't, I don't, I couldn't even tell you the last time I had some food like that. Um, and just how, how bad it used to make me feel. But um, yeah, man, I think that's something that a lot of football players do and have that discipline. And I think reading that book and journaling and, and keeping yourself accountable is another thing I wanted to touch on. You know, you mentioned you didn't start journaling till you had people kind of pointing out your flaws and you, you yourself realizing those flaws. And I think that's an important piece. And to even dive a little deeper into that, I think having a positive relationship with your flaws is important too, because when you have that negative relationship, you almost hate yourself for it. You know, you'll like, I'm, I'm a big person of forgetting shit. So today, like I went, (laughs) I went to the gym, forgot my headphones, forgot my water bottle. And I could have responded in, you know, two ways. One, beat myself up about it, tell myself I'm an idiot and have all this negative self-talk pent up and really have this anger towards myself. Or I could say, who cares? You know, I can, you know, get some water, at the drinking fountain. I don't need to listen to music today. You know, how good are these headphones really for your, your eardrums? Right. So it's like, that response is super important too. Um, But yeah, I think that whole point and your perspective of flaws really, really matters when trying to improve upon yourself. And that's kind of what we're all trying to do, right? Like we're trying to make ourselves better so we can
2: live a more fulfilled life. Most definitely, man. And um, I I will be the first person to admit it when when I started this journaling thing. a lot of the times, man, I was I was thinking pretty negatively, and that comes with um, life outside of football and finding that identity. I think that I was always having kind of a victim mentality um, and thinking, you know, no one has it worse than me. Um, when in reality, there's a lot of things that I have that are great um, that some people don't or wish they did have. Um, and I think about those things, and I think that that's the first the first step in the process is realizing that you have. Um, An unlimited amount of strengths It just comes up to can you unlock those strengths, can you really showcase those strengths, um, not only to other people but to yourself, most importantly. Um, so most definitely man it's it's something that I, I relish the opportunity of having weaknesses. Um, and I think if you at least work towards um, improving those um, in, in mitigating them as much as you possibly can, um, in developing those positive traits that's something that I've been working on as well like I said I'm not perfect. Um, I welcome these these challenges and I work to overcome them. Um, There was a point in my life where I didn't. I I just kind of stuck through negativity. Um, And that was actually during the uh, pandemic where I was like, you know what, this is horrible. I'm still doing my master's degree. Um, I'm not really doing much with my life. Uh, I don't have much going on. Um, And I kind of had that victim mentality. Um, And I think I've, I've strived towards becoming better um, about that. So, um, you know, I'll be the first person to point out uh, my flaws. So uh, for sure. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I think it's a human, it's human nature to go through peaks and valleys and get down or make mistakes. Like that's just part of life. And, you know, I think even going back to our, one of our first discussions is looking back on those mistakes is going to be so important for your growth like, how are you going to improve upon it if you never recognize your mistakes? So like, even recognizing that, oh, I'm messing up here. Oh, I might be going down the wrong path. Like, I might be drinking a little too much on the weekdays, or I might, I might be eating a little too bad. You know, let me clean this up. That first reaction and that first alarm that goes off, that's awesome. Because a lot of people never have that. And they just continue to go down this cycle and and cycle down into oblivion. I mean, you're, you're messed up, you know what I mean? And and when you dig that hole deeper, it's so much harder to climb back out of. So I think that's an important piece too, man. Like understanding, oh shit, I'm making a mistake. Like, let me, let me not look at this as, oh, I need to beat myself up. I'm an idiot. Let me look at this as, oh wow, like good thing. I'm, my brain is like allowing me to see this and realize that, okay, now I, I need to switch this around. And then that second piece is taking action. And if you never take action, you know you're gonna have a pretty bad life. You know there's there's things that pop up in your mind, and you know I have this quote. Hold on, I have this here. It's somewhere in my desk. It's like my favorite quote by Pat Tillman. Yep, I got it. Somewhere inside we hear a voice. It leads us in the direction of what we wish to become. It is up to us whether or not to follow. And I think a lot of us has have those voices, and it's like it's up to you. It's up to you to take action in that, and that's what's really important. Um, but also like like I said, having that positive relationship with yourself is gonna allow you to take action much easier.
2: Most definitely. And I think another thing uh, to your point, what you just mentioned is um, it's so important to not neglect um, those things that come up. I think there's a lot that you can learn from them. I think it's a very valuable learning experience um, and, and neglecting it is not going to help. I think welcoming it um, and working to kind of overcome it, I think that's very important. Um, And another thing that, something that I've done to kind of cope with negativity in my life has been, and my girlfriend makes fun of me for this, and I stopped doing it, which I wish I didn't, um, was meditation. Uh, I would wake up every morning, throw on this meditation YouTube video, and I would be so much zen to start my day. So much positivity, like my mind was cleared, um, and I just had momentum going through my day. Um, so that is something I'm going to get back to. Um, for those of you that are listening, I highly recommend, um, getting into meditation. I think it's very important for kind of a reset uh, and getting your day started. You can do it at night or in the morning. So that's something that's really helped me, man. It's, is it, meditation for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it is
1: something that helps me a lot in my daily life. And you know, I used to be very rigid in my ways of like, all right, I need to get meditation in, in the morning. Like I need to do this for five to 10 minutes each morning. And I started to kind of like fall down that path, right? Like things happen. You got to, you know, work comes up or you got to be up early and you just kind of forget about it. But I read this book on meditation and I can't remember the name of it exactly, but he talked about it. Instead of looking at meditation as this practice that you need to have a perfect environment for like really, when you in your head when you picture meditation, you're thinking of like a yoga studio. You have this soft music on, like a waterfall in the background. And he's saying, meditation isn't about like this exercise. You have to be in this environment. It's about finding peace within yourself. And it's really, really hard today, especially with the social media and just constantly being bombarded with how you're supposed to think and advertisements and you know, other people trying to get you to buy all that kind of stuff, right? It's hard to think for yourself. So when you take those times to be bored, to not have any stimulus in your brain, that's when you can kind of work through your own problems and, you know, control your thoughts and realize that like, oh, I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings. These are just things that happen to me as a human being. I'm my own consciousness and I have the possibility and the ability to control that. And filter my thoughts and realize that I don't have to act on every single thought or I don't have to let this thought affect my emotion so it's like a practice and I you know I've talked to Carly about it too and she hates she's not a huge fan of meditation at all and it's funny you say that about Brooke Um, but it's it's frustrating like I don't know if you felt the same way at first it's like it's hard to quiet your thoughts right but it's not it's less about quieting your thoughts and more about how can I stay the center? How can I not let this distract me? And when I do get off on the path of a thought, how can I slowly bring myself back in? And going back to that, having that positive relationship with yourself, it's not, oh shit, I got another thought. Get out of here, get out of here. It's like, okay, I have no thought. It's fine. No big deal, I'm a human being, I get thoughts. Let me come back to center. And like finding that practice, but it's hard and it takes years of practice. I'm not even close, um, but dude, meditation, like I, I really do think it is, a huge key and a, a good tool to help with this depression that we've seen across our entire generation.
2: For sure, man, totally agree. I think um, to your point, it's, it is tough to quiet those thoughts in your head. Um, and I, I was very reluctant to get into it um, because there was obviously always a stigma with it. Like you mentioned, like you gotta be in a yoga studio doing downward dog and, um, in doing all these kind of tedious things, but it really isn't that. Um, and I know my, my buddy Grant, I got him onto meditation for a little bit and he said that was awesome. Um, so, and that's the whole point of these things is really to, to spread and cultivate positivity. So, uh, if it can touch one life, you know, it, it's, it's, that's all it means. So, um, it, it's been very good and I do fully intend to get back into doing it. It's just things got in the way and work and other obligations, but, um, setting five to 10 minutes aside is truly nothing. Man. And I think it could be good for, you know, doing it at night or um, doing it early in the morning to start your day. It just kind of depends on preference, but I um, can't say enough good things about it, man. It's, it's truly one of those things where you you can say all you want until you actually do it, until you actually see the, the impact that it's making. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just got back from
1: being in the sauna. I just meditated for 15 minutes. Took like a cold shower after, like I've been really getting into those Um, but I want to talk about like kind of going back to football and mental health and obviously an injury that we both have faced a lot is head trauma. Like we have constantly been going at each other head on head, you know, going against 300 pound guys, if not two, 300 pound guys, every single play. And it's really like a car crash. Um, and you know, we have to be proactive in those things and kind of be aware of how that's affecting us. Um, so, you know, I do some things for my lower body, my, you know, upper injuries and shoulder, but I think meditation is another good tool for, you know, that mental health aspect of it. So I'm curious from your perspective, I don't know if you have any tools or any, you know, if you want to even touch on the subject of mental health and kind of how that's affected you uh, with your whole
2: football experience. Yeah, man, mental health is a topic that I am extremely passionate about. I think it's um, something that doesn't get talked about enough, um, especially for athletes and, and specifically football players. I think there's a stigma that that football players are these tough guys that, that don't really have any feelings and um, they just, they're just macho, macho guys. But um, it's something that I struggled with um, in college. And I don't even know if you know this, but I'm gonna be vulnerable and tell my story. Um, uh, in my junior, in my redshirt junior year um, of college, I was practicing in spring when our first coach, Coach Leffler, got there. Um, we're doing these really strenuous inside run pods. Um, we're doing all these things, just banging and banging and banging with these O-linemen. Um, and I'm like, damn, my back's really hurting. Um, what do I do? Like, and then I was starting to go on practice and practice, and I was losing, I was losing feeling in my legs. Um, I was losing feeling in my arms. I was losing I, my my fingers, my toes were always numb and always tingling. Um, so I went and got an MRI um, and it turns out that I had four slip discs and one herniated disc in my spine and my lumbar. Um, and, and that was something that I had to miss all of spring ball. I ruined my first impression with my first coaching staff uh, and my last coaching staff that I would inevitably have. Um, so that killed me. Um, and i was faced with uh, an option to either overcome it um, go to rehab go to physical therapy three times a week on top of what i was doing at the facility Um, and i went through with that so uh, initially i had all my paperwork ready um, and i held off on signing it to be medically disqualified Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go through physical therapy um, extensively for two more weeks and, and see where this takes me. So I put in crazy hours of physical therapy in the facility. And then in between classes, I would go up to the Stroh Center um, and do external physical therapy with a another team doctor. And eventually things improved. Um, and I went on to have the best year of football that I've ever had in my life. Um, so I think it's a good life lesson um, to not give up uh, on your, your injuries. Um, and I know you better than anybody um, can attest to that. So I went through a, a very very hard time mentally uh, during that time. Um, and I leaned on a lot of my resources that I had in college, those being professors. Um, I, I was actually very close with some of my professors, um, my ATs, my coach, my um, D-line coach, um, and, and having those resources really guided me through and kind of helped solidify my decision to push harder and to go into physical therapy um, and to really improve my injury. So I think that's the lesson in the story is, is just to never give up uh, and to lean on your resources when you're going through difficult times, um, because that was one of the hardest times mentally I've ever had. So really glad that I did the reaching out, went through the process, trusted the process uh, and stuck to it and then inevitably had one of my best uh Seasons as a player, uh, my redshirt senior year. So. Yeah, I remember that man. I do remember you kind of going through
1: some of those back issues, and I do remember the machine that you were like sitting on. And it would kind of elongate your spine and decompress it. That was really, really interesting. Um, but it's awesome that you got to you know rehab and go through all that and and figure out like, oh shit, yeah, I'm in a bad mental spot, but like I can there's you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I, I was watching your senior year, you you balled out and it was awesome to see because it was like, you know, you had this like, you know, like I was talking about, you had this expectation of what Bowling Green was going to be. And, you know, we were all excited about it. You know, myself, you know, all the other boys included and to see the coaching staff change over a bunch of times. And
2: it was just like it was just
1: very disappointing. And then to see you have a good senior year, you know, Jack had a great year. Um, you know, you guys beat Toledo, so there were a lot of highlights to that senior year, regardless of of what the the last record was. Um, so that was awesome to see, man. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely completely, hundred and ten percent, understand where you're coming from with the mental aspect of it. Um, you know, I I had a more severe injury tearing my Achilles, and I couldn't walk for three months. So, going through that mental process of shit, I'm no longer like a top top dog D lineman, and I'm watching, you know, these guys play throughout the season. You know, I'm watching Dan Garkar, who we who we got to see play as a freshman, you know, and at Mentor, absolutely ball out and, you know, kind of take over my spot. And it was like, you know, it was great to see. It was great to see Dan doing that, but in my head, I'm like, man, that should be me. Like, that should be me doing it. And it was really, really hard to, to work with myself, but I knew if I just, kept going, right? Like just slowly, slowly rehab. You know, I was going five times a day doing the, um, East ice bass, all that stuff, trying to get it right. And, you know, going into the season, I, f- I was definitely a little iffy on it, but I'm like, all right, let me get my, my footing down. And the eight days in the camp, I hurt myself again. And, you know, I can look at that and say like, shit, like, you know, you, you got to, you got to play that final year. And that, that was in my head too. I'm like, I get to play this final year. I'm coming back from a crazy injury. This is it. I'm going out with a bang. And it didn't end up at all how I thought. But because I put all that work in it, because I did everything I possibly could to get to that point and to play that final year and it ended up, you know, my body was just like, no, you can't do this anymore. And had another micro tear in the Achilles. It was like, yeah, I'm sad. I'm hurt. It sucks. Like,
2: I wish I could play, but I'm not. I'm not worried about,
1: can you still hear me? Sorry. All right. I'm not worried about whether or not like I did the right thing, right? Like I'm not looking at myself in the mirror going like, what am I doing? What What a loser. You're such a loser. You didn't put the time in. You never even gave it this a shot. So I think that's an important you know, piece too is like you looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, yeah, I got four herniated discs and I'm pretty sure the lumbar only has five levels to it. Like there's the L1 through the L5. So it's like every single disc is messed up, bro. That's crazy. And to say, you know what, like, I know I can do this and, and do the rehab and get back to healthy and have a great season. You know, it's a testament to show like never giving up, man. Just whatever you're going through, you can get through it. And I think going through that early in our lives with football is going to help. You know, we're still so young. We're 25 years old. Now you're about to do 26 years soon. It's like, that's going to help us so much in our future life um, that I think we're really, really going to see as more challenges come up.
2: Yeah, man. And I think to both of our points, um, I think for me personally, um, I wouldn't have been able to deal with the pain of regret. Um, Seeing if I didn't go through with that process and, and trust that process, I wouldn't have been able to see Um, us beat Toledo um, as a 28 point dog as to go into South Bend and play Notre Dame on national television on NBC um, or all of those experiences that year going to Kansas State Um, those life lessons that you have with your guys are everything and those are the things that were going through my head when I was going through that crazy ass process I'm like this is not going to happen to me I'm going to do everything that I can personally um, to not have the pain of regret and I think in your situation you did everything that you could um but at the end of the day you have to listen to your body um so i know that you're not gonna you're not gonna have that pain of regret because you actually went through the process so um uh, you know that's you're a warrior man you went through so many injuries and uh, i give you so much credit and kudos because not a lot of people can do that they can't really dig deep and, and see um the potential and go through those hard ass times um, but dealing with the pain the regret is, worse is the worst part of the process. Um, the, the extensive rehabs and, and stuff that we did is just a minuscule part of the process. I think the pain of regret is definitely the worst. So um, I'm very glad that both of us didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, and, and speaking of injuries, I don't know if you,
1: if you feel this way, but I definitely am still dealing with my own injuries and trying to work through them, continue to strengthen areas that I'm weak in. Um, you know, obviously with this Achilles tear, it's the whole chain, the whole kinetic chain in my left leg is still got to work on my hip, got to work on my knee, you know, even my shoulder, like somehow that's messed up a little bit more. So it's like being conscious of that and trying to work on that every single day. Um, and I've had people ask me the question, you know, do you regret playing? Uh, or especially when I see a statistic that 90, it was like 93% of college football players have CTE. And you know, people come to me like, "Do you regret it? Do you regret it?" I would not change anything. Like, regardless of you know how I ended up, my college career did not go at all how I planned. Ended up only playing ten games out of my five years I played because of injuries, because of transferring, because of all this stuff. And you know, I could look back and be like, "Damn, I could have done this. I should have done that. And you know, I should have done this differently." But like, that's what made me who I am, and that's what allowed me to have this perspective um but i'm curious you know from from you like your injuries obviously your back is this something you still work on still deal with um and how does that affect your mental health too like how do you i guess grapple with that idea of like damn i just spent 12 years or you know i you probably played a little bit longer than me but i just spent that much time really beating the shit out of my body so like I, i guess how do you grapple with that
2: yeah, man. Literally leading with my head every play. That was what I, I had the um, reputation as a guy that would lead with his head every play. So I've taken my fair share of hits to the head. Um, but to cope with that, it's, um, it's not easy. It, it's sometimes I have splitting headaches and splitting migraines um, because of that. But to your point with the injuries, you know, my back um, has gotten significantly better. Um, reason being, um, I'm not carrying 300 pounds of weight on me anymore. Um, so the lesson of that is, is to, to listen to your body, to know what to do with your body, to take care of your body. In um, these things, we can yell until we're blue in the face. Truly. Like um, until I took action, um, things changed. Things were not changing when I was thick. Like they just weren't, <laughs> they weren't Yeah. like I felt every bit of 300 pounds. I felt unhealthy and, when, you're, when you feel unhealthy like that, man, it takes a toll on your mental health, it really does. And when you start using remedies and, and eating healthy and focusing on your nutrition, um, it, it's, those are the things that you can contribute to um, help with those injuries. Um, and I think that's something that I've done and that's, that's something I'm going to continue to do, um, especially with my back and my knees. Um, my knees feel so much better, my ankles, my feet, um, I'm not carrying around that weight anymore. Um, and losing, losing weight truly was the best decision I've ever made, not only just physically, but mentally as well. So, um, that's what I'll say about that for sure. Yeah, no, that's,
1: that's a lot of weight, man. And, you know, I got up to 275 myself. I'm probably down to like 220 right now. So, you know, we, you know, we both lost a, a bunch of weight and you're so right. That mental aspect of having the weight on, I remember Those days, like it would be like every week, I'd look myself in the mirror and just be like, damn, (laughs) looking at my belly, looking at my love handles, and just saying to myself, like, I got to start Monday. I got to start Monday. And then it would just be the next week. And I would just, you know, eat my feelings away and not even care. And then there'd be another shameful night of me looking at myself in the mirror. And that cycle just continued. And then having football is a crutch too, right? Of having like, you know, especially for you, like, man, I'm a D1 football player. I can, I need to be, you know, I'm a nose tackle. Like I need to be big. I need to be huge. And, you know, that is somewhat true, 110%. But when you're done with that, you know, you gotta, you gotta take it off. It's not something that's sustainable. And I always look at it as this graph, right? Where it's like, um, you know, it's like the, the healthy, unhealthy scale and you have performance and like your health basically going line to line. So, you know, you're working out, you're feeling good. It's kind of like early in your career. And then it hits this point where you're training so hard, the hits you're taking are so heavy. It's like your performance is going to go up, but your health starts declining. So it's like, it's that tough battle and recognizing when it's over, when it needs to stop, and when I really need to get my health in check. Because you could easily have been like, Oh, I'm 300 pounds. It's my life now. Like we keep drinking beers and having a good time and eating Taco Bell. But, you know, I'm proud of you for just like, man, I got to get my ass in shape. And, you know, like you got a nice haircut. You obviously care about your appearance. So like 300 pounds, bro, it doesn't help. It doesn't
2: help at all. No, man. And obviously I had to be, I had to be big. I had to keep a scholarship. I had to, um, in the position that I played, I had to take on 320 pound double teams from huge ass offensive linemen. So it was imperative that I was big. Um, but to your point, man, it's it's not sustainable at all. It's something that you have to look in the mirror. Um, I was sick with myself, to be honest with you. I, I looked in the mirror, saw those love handles. Um, some guys in BG even called them a joke, calling them the Nixos. So um, <laughs> I had to get rid of them, man. I wasn't dealing with that anymore. But um, you know, your body is your best resource um, and it's the only place that you have to live. Um, I know it's a cliche quote, but it, it's the absolute truth. And um, I will never in my life intend on being that big again. Um, but like I said, it was a it was a imperative that I was that big. Um, but exercising, nutrition, I eat like a dog. I, I meal plan every week. I eat the same thing for dinner every day. Um, obviously I have a little bit of fun on the weekends and treat myself, but that's completely normal. So I think it's all about balance and and making sure that you, you know, use the tools um, at your disposal to, to just become the, the most optimal version of yourself.
1: Yeah. And I think becoming the most optimal version of yourself starts with that foundation in your health and, you know, taking your physical health seriously, taking your, you know, the food that you're eating seriously. I know you know, you don't eat gluten anymore, and that's just how your body reacts to it, which is crazy. Um, You know, I've had to cut out some things as well or just kind of dial things back because of how they affected my body. Um, But that's the foundation to everything in life. If you don't have your health, what are you doing? Like, what's the point, right? Yeah, you might have all these goals of, you know, doing big things or having a, you know, uh, island house, whatever it is if you are walking out of that island beach house and you got rolls on rolls and you look like hell and you obviously haven't been taking care of yourself for 40 years, like what's, what's the point, man? So taking our health first, I think that's, it's, it's imperative for us to even achieve those external goals that we set for ourselves. I think that first goal has to be, how can I get my health in check? How can I continue to sustain this for the rest of my life so I can have a high quality of life you know, and, and kind of looking at our situation, have a high quality of life, despite all those, you know, injuries that we have sustained over the years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like what you said about quality of life too, because, um, you know, when you are eating yourself into obliv- oblivion and, and not really taking care of your body, I think it correlates into almost, and trickles into almost every other part of your life. So it starts affecting your relationships um, that you really sought, you 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 want to be able to have those strong relationships, and I think it kind of hinders some ability to have those, um, and puts your mind elsewhere. Um, so I think it, it not only does it correlate to good physical and mental health for yourself, um, but it also helps you sustain relationships and um, be present and um, those kind of things. So I think uh, you you nailed it, man. You said it to a T. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up relationships
1: because that's something I wanted to touch on soon in this podcast. I think looking back at those times where I was struggling with my mental health, I also, and it's not to say, you know, I don't have friends from that time period still, because I still do, but it's, you know, the people I kept really close to me, right? Like I was in a very toxic relationship and it it wasn't helping at all. Like having that accountability, having that person to kind of just be an ear and not not listen and judge, but just kind of listen and, and allow you to vent to them and, and kind of, and I'm not saying you're supposed to complain to your spouse all the time, but like having someone that you can just let off steam and just let off your thoughts at and not have them judge you in a negative light, I think is really, really important to you living a good life. And you know, I, I wouldn't be anywhere in life without the relationships that I hold that's why i still live in cleveland that's why i'm you know still seeing trying to see my mom my dad once a week at least because those people are really important to me and i'm i'm lucky to have them in my life and you know that's why i'm getting married to the person i'm getting married to because i'm so lucky i'm so grateful because i have someone who supports me in everything i do i have someone who when i come home it feels like home i don't feel like i'm going to get berated because I left an orange out of the fridge or something stupid like that. You know what I mean? So it's like having someone in your life that you know is a good teammate. And I think going back to football, kind of making that analogy, what kind of teammate do you want to play with, right? Do you want to have someone who's harping on you all the time and telling you how shitty you are and constantly, and this goes for coaches too. I guess you can make the analogy to coaches too. Or do you want to have somebody who's like, yeah, I'm going to point out your flaws, but I'm going to do it in a constructive way. And I'm gonna do this for your own well being, for your own well being, and our, also our own well being. Because I want, you know, I want Carly to tell me when I'm messing up or when I'm, you know, say I'm, you know, doing too much of this, like, hey, stop doing, this, stop doing that. You know what I mean? Like those certain instances, it's so nice to have that accountability. And um, I guess I wanna just get from you, you know, obviously I know your family really well, we grew up together. Like, what does your brother mean to you? What does Brooke mean to you? What does your mom mean to you? And kind of how have they helped you with your, you know, this whole journey, I guess, outside of football?
2: Yeah, man, I'll start with each one. Um, Brooke, she's been uh, my absolute rock for sure. Um, I, and you know me, I haven't been in many relationships um, before. Um, The previous one that I was in, you know, was toxic. It was, um, I, I found myself not being myself Uh, I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. Um, And uh, I think that finding Brooke um, and being able to have her in my corner um, critiquing me in, like you said, constructive ways, um, aka putting my ass in check when I need to be, um, I think it's been everything for me. I mean, I've learned so much, um, not only from her, um, but just things about life in general and how it's supposed to look. Um, so she's been absolutely amazing, um, you know, uh, I fully intend to, to marry her and, and move on in life with her. Um, so she's been amazing to me. Um, she's put me in check so many times um, and has helped me kind of grow uh, to be the person I'm kind of being. So um, that goes a lot with what I've started to journal with. You know, people have specifically her. She has been in my corner, like I said, but she has also pointed out my flaws. Um, and she's had to do it multiple times. So that's where I reached the point where I'm like, you know what? I got to start journaling these things and holding myself accountable to make sure that they don't happen again. So it doesn't affect anything in the long run. Um, so I think getting ahead of those things has been, is huge for me. Um, so, you know, my brother, he's, he, he's taught me a lot, um, from being a young, at a young age, playing sports, um, not only about sports, but, uh, about life as well. Um, and he always wants to make sure that I don't make the same mistakes that he did um so he always serves as that big brother to to provide and protect um and to make sure that I don't do those stupid things um that he might have done in the past so having that support system is amazing and then my mom um I've learned s- crazy amounts of stuff from her um she was a single mother raising two growing boys um she was a nurse uh she supported us as a single mother in a house where she struggled financially, she would pick up 12 hour shifts. She would sometimes pick up 18 hour days working in the ER, just to put food on the table for me and my brother. Um, And I know that sounds pretty cliche, but um, it's something that I saw firsthand every day. And in the moment as a child growing up, you don't really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure you probably know, Um, you don't appreciate it when you're a child, but when you become to grow as an adult, um, you really start to reflect on that time and be like, damn, mom, how the hell did you do that? Like, how did you support two growing boys as a single mother um, with a mortgage, with all these crazy expenses? Like, it really opens your eyes like, to see what uh, a parent will do for their child. So um, having that, I think that it would only help me when I become a father um, to see what my mom did and see the sacrifices that she made um, for both my brother and I. And then my dad, man, he's, he's been a huge, huge impact on me um, going into sports. Um, he was um, actually on the Yankees for a period of time, which was awesome. He, he was a crazy good baseball player um, and helped me grow in, in baseball and football and basketball. Um, and to that point by my dad, I think a lot of the times it takes trauma um, to happen for you to really appreciate what you have. Um, so. For those of you that don't know my dad was um, had several series of strokes when I was in high school, um, which ultimately led to um, him, him needing a surgery to clear out his artery in his neck, um, and it went awry, and um, things didn't go well, he had a brain bleed, and he's been significantly different cognitively ever since. Um, so, since high school I haven't missed a day calling him um, and just having a conversation, since high school. So. There was a period of time before that i was talking to him probably twice a week um and not talking him to enough so having to talk to him every day has been awesome and i never intend to miss another conversation with him ever, ever again so i just talked to him before i got on here um and we just chopped it up talked about our days um and said i love you good night sounds good i'll talk to you tomorrow um so sometimes it takes trauma for you to really realize what you have so very very blessed to have the supporting cast that i do um, and it stretches far more than than just my family and my friends, too. So, yeah, it's a little bit about my family, man. It's been awesome. They, they're a great support system. Yeah. I love that you brought
1: up, you know, the story of of your mom. You know, I think we, we can relate to that. You know, I grew up with a single mom myself, and, you know, I, I think for both of us, too, our father was still really involved in our lives. You know, I got to see my dad really struggle moving house to house and going a bunch of places. And then I had that rock as my mom. So I was really lucky to like get that experience, but also know that I have a safety net. Um, But, you know, seeing him go through that and really work his way into something and make his dream come true. And now he has his own studio that, you know, I film at all the time and, you know, we get to see each other and work out once a week and it's great. And, you know, he really created that from nothing. And I got to see that, which is, which is really cool. And, you know, similar to your mom, like, seeing their actions, and seeing how they really just, you know, despite everything that was going on, still created this great life for you, and, you know, I was around your mom all the time, like, I loved being around her, super fun to be around, despite her, you know, her complaining about work, or whatever she had to do, like, awesome time to be around, and, you know, she made that place, like, the spot in high school for us, so, you know, I'm I'm forever grateful for her, too, and, It's awesome to see what our parents can do. Um, I I think it's one of those things. It's so awesome that we got to see that because when that opportunity presents itself down the line, whether we're fathers, whether we're leaders in our community, whatever that role is, we can implement those traits that we learned from them and seeing that firsthand and seeing that passed down, that speaks way more volumes and has way more impact than that Monkey C, monkey, or you know what I'm saying? Like, do this, and then I'm gonna do something different. So, action speaks louder than words, and, and seeing our parents do that, man, that's it's special, man. It's, I think we're really lucky to, to have that experience.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. I think to your point as well, I'm, when I'm a father, whenever that time comes, like, I'm not gonna hesitate, man. Like, I just have to think that, you know, she wasn't getting paid much. Um, but she still somehow worked to make it happen. Um, obviously, she had a budget and stuff like that, but to see the sacrifices that she made sends a bigger picture. Um, and I think, you know, when I'm in that situation, being a father and, and raising children, um, I'm not going to hesitate. And that's all just based on on what she gave me as a kid and what she provided for me. Um, so I think those are, are lessons, not only a moment, but also lessons for life um, and, and lessons that I'll forever carry with me. Um, to make sure that I'm the best parent that I can be.
1: Oh yeah. I love that, man. I love that. We, we had those experiences and I think we're both going to be you know great fathers, leaders, whatever, whatever that role is someday. Um, you know, I think we should end on our, on a high note and really speak about some things that impacted us the most. And I would love to, to give you my favorite quote from a coach and kind of something that change my life and perspective and, and kind of how I how I move differently throughout throughout my life um but you know I, ha- I had this this meeting with him in spring ball we got done had a pretty good spring ball whatever so I'm just looking to go in to kind of tell him like hey you need to work on this hand movement or whatever blah 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 and you know he sat me down and he said to me he's like Trevor you could be one of our top four guys but you just lack the confidence on every play some plays you go out there you look great In other plays, it's like, what's going on? And, you know, I I never really thought of it like, oh, I don't have confidence in myself or I'm thinking about it too much. It was just like, man, I got got, you know, it it happens. Like sometimes you just kind of fuck up on a play. But he said, he's like, you lack confidence because you're not putting the work in to be confident. And from that moment on, I don't know why it was like what he said, but it was like, you need to work for your confidence. You know, I I don't know, like my dad used to tell me this all the time, If we ever talk about like getting girls or whatever, right? It'd be like, just be confident, be yourself. Like, what does that mean, dude? You know what I mean? Like, well, who am I? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do I be confident? And for someone to just lay it out and be super simple about it and say, you need to work for your confidence. It changed my life, bro. And, And from that moment on, I became a 10 times better football player, even though I only got two games into my season that from my Achilles, that was still the best season I had playing football. Um, and I think ever since that point, like, i realized that when things aren't going my way or I'm not getting to a point I want to get to, I only have myself to look at and real, real like really realize, hey... I need to work for this. I can't just let this happen. It's not going to come to me. I'm not just going to be good at something. I'm not just going to create this business, or I'm not just going to have a great relationship. I need to go and create that. I need to go and work on that. And that's something that's changed my life completely. But I guess from you and, and your BG perspective, maybe as someone at Benner, um, but you know what, what quote, I guess, kind of changed your life?
2: Yeah, man, I got a couple. So, um, Coach Dino Babers—he was a big, big guy in philosophy, um, and he really um, was an endless, um, endless amount of—or what am I trying to say? He was—he had endless supply of quotes, but they were all very, very—you um, could be able to apply them in, into any situation that you're thrown into. So, um, one of the one of the biggest quotes that has stuck with me, and me and all the BG guys know this like we literally say it all the time. Um, every day when you're doing something, right? Um, whatever situation you're in, it's important to, to always remember to be occasional or to consistently good and not occasionally great. So uh, I think that sends a message and it's very clear. Um, and that's something that we went over every single day. And um, I still say it to this day, man, whenever I'm, whenever I'm slouching, I'm like consistently good. and I just whisper it under my breath, like until I'm blue in the face. Um, And I think it's very simple, yet it's very effective. Um, And another one, and this comes from one of my coaches who is now the DB's coach at Ohio State, Coach Perry Eliano, and I bet you he doesn't even know that this made an impact on me. Um, But it was, be like a palm tree. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the quote, but um, in any storm, I don't know if you remember Hurricane Katrina, obviously when it happened, Um, during those storms, the only thing that you saw standing um, in that crazy ass mess of Katrina were palm trees. Um, They're the strongest um, force in the world and and they will literally not go down. So I think it sends a message of whatever adversity is thrown your way, um, whatever comes your way that you think is really bad, um, to be like a palm tree and and make sure you're standing tall in that moment um, and and being able to, to handle any type of adversity that comes your way. Um, and then the last one that I actually have here in my bag. I'm going to pull it up. You probably definitely know this, Trev. Um, it's, I have it right here. And I carry it with me in my workbook. But as you can see here, it's the, oh, nice. law, the law of the jungle. So it's, now this is the law of the jungle. As old and as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall keep it may The wolf that shall break it must die as the creeper that girdles the tree trunk the law runneth forward in the pack for the strength of the pack is a wolf and the strength of the wolf is a pack I mean sends an awesome message about um, togetherness and working together and I think you can apply it to teamwork Um, if you're in a nine to five um, all coming together to collectively reach the same mission um, it can be a relationship you know your relationship is a pack Um, it takes both of you guys to reach the full potential of that relationship. So just little things, man, that, that really stuck with me. And these coaches that, that have told me these things, this is coach Carl Polini, who was um, defensive coordinator at Nebraska um, and LSU. And they don't even know that they made this impact on me. Um, Like if they ever heard this, they'd be so surprised. Um, But it was just one day where um, everything kind of, it's a weird feeling, man. When you hear a quote, it just kind of sticks. Like, it's something that you can't really explain. It just kind of sticks with you, but those are the ones, man. Those are the awesome ones that I've learned. Yeah. I love that, man. I think those are really great. I hope anyone
1: hearing this can have that moment where they hear your voice and say, Oh, wow, that really resonated with me. You know? And and I hope that gets passed along because, you know, like you mentioned with the coaches, they didn't know that they were, you know, going to make that specific impact on you because a lot of times you know, a lot of my coaches would say things. Obviously, we spent a lot of years playing football. A lot of that's in one ear, out the other. But there's these moments, there's like these five moments or so that you just remember it's like distinctly. You just to a T, you remember the smell in the air, you know what I'm saying? And you know, I think that's what's great about kind of like what we're doing right now, hopping on this podcast is making that impact. And despite what you might think about your message and whatever, you have a story, you're unique, and you can make an impact on another person. You know, yeah, we played football, but there might be someone out there that played soccer and had a very similar experience with coaches and went through hardships and can help another person get through that. So whoever's listening to this, you know, even Nico too, man, you have the possibility to change so many people's lives with your story and and with the impact you can make. and that goes for anyone listening to. So Nico, I appreciate you, brother. Any last words?
2: Uh, absolutely. Thanks again, Trev, for having me on, Dan. And there's one more quote that I had um, that I'm eventually going to get tattooed on me. And it is from my favorite movie in the world, Shawshank Redemption. Um, and it's called it, the quote says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies. So that is what you see behind me here in the wall um, that it just, like you said, it's the smell in the air. Like you don't even know what made it stick, but, um, that's what made it stick. So just wanted to leave with that. Um, again, appreciate you having me on here and, and I appreciate what you do, uh, and the lives that you touch, man. So, so thank you, Dre.
1: Absolutely, bro. It was a pleasure having you on everyone. Make sure to go follow Nico. I'll, I'll tag his Instagram on here. Um, but Nick, I appreciate you, man. We'll, we'll talk later. Thanks for listening everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast I hope you enjoyed it as a reminder be sure to go follow my instagram page at tb underscore morrison for health and fitness content along with any episode that drops and make sure to subscribe to thoughts from a balcony on spotify and or apple podcast if you want to stay up to date on everything there Once again, I appreciate you all for listening, and don't forget, keep trying to be the best version of yourself every single day. Peace.